Hello everybody. Despite on paper being a tantalising encounter between two attacking-minded teams, Friday's game between Sale and Bristol was anything but. Terrible playing conditions would be the defining feature of an ever-strewn encounter which saw the Bears prevail by 16 points to 10. My name is Lewis. Welcome back inside the Shark Tank. And joining me to discuss the disappointment of Friday night at Ashton Gate, I'm a co-host, Alex and James. Alex, how are you? I'm good, mate. Despite a rubbish weekend as a Sale and England fan, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, feeling much the same. A bit of a disappointing weekend all all around uh, in terms of rugby. Um, but obviously, we'll come on to the that, that World Cup final a little bit later on. James, uh, how's things on your side? Fine. Still recovering from the full match replay, um, watching the Bristol game. That's uh, kind of about 90 minutes of my life. I'm never getting back, really. Um, so I'm really looking forward to spending another hour talking about it today. Yeah, well, like we said on Twitter uh, over the weekend, we've all watched the, you know the game on Friday uh, away to Bristol. As we said off the top, it was an error-strewn encounter, terrible conditions. We don't really want to spend 45 minutes discussing it, to be perfectly honest. And as such, we've been asking you guys, instead of three-word reviews, for some mailbag questions instead to sort of uh, change the uh, the sort of focal point of the discussion to be a little bit more encompassing of the, the beginning of the season. And, and so we don't really have to spend too much time talking about the Bristol game, which I think we can all agree was, was quite disappointing. But we would be loath not to spend a little bit of time discussing what happened on, on Friday night. And James, let, let's start with sort of the, the outcome for sale, you know, despite everything that happened. A losing bonus point away at Ashton Gate, you know, should we consider this a good result for sale? Um, it could have been worse, couldn't it? I mean, if we hadn't have got that try right at the death, then we would have come away with nothing. So you could say, well, we played poorly and still come away with a point. So there, there, there is an upside um, and there was a moment in the middle of the second half that we, we did look like we'd go on and win the game and just, you know, a bounce of the ball went Bristol's way and then it was taken away from us. So it was good that we remained sort of mentally strong at that point and came back and did get the point. Uh, but I think we got two points there last year. Is that Did, did we draw there, I think, towards the end of last season? We did, yeah. Um, yeah, so so you could say versus last season, we're, we're, we're one down and we thought we'd maybe moved ahead. But so Bristol, and they're going to be aiming for top four this year. And, you know, there's a lot of teams who have played three, one, one. Yeah, Alex, what was your sort of takeaway from, from Sale's game? I mean, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the comparison between this year and last year in, in a minute. But, you know, we... On the face of it, we're one sort of camrad path slip away from, from potentially pulling out all four points. Is, is that the sort of positive message we should be taking back from, from that game? Yeah, I guess the positive message you should take out of it. It was a good Bristol team. We were pretty, pretty poor and, you know, we still got a losing bonus point out of it. You know, this is a Bristol team that's put out many points on Bath. And actually, I think it was one of our worst games, um, probably our worst game all season, to be honest, in terms of... Just to, I just didn't think we looked fluent, I think, you know. I mean, we didn't score any points until, when was that AJ penalty, the 60th minute? So, you know, to go 60 minutes and just, yeah, it, it, you know, it just didn't look... It's, it's strange, isn't it, because you think we were warming up into it, especially after a big win at Irish last week. Um, but, yeah, I think the positive you take out of it is at least we got a bonus point. Those are the bonus points we weren't getting last season. But, um, yeah, I think the negatives are... It's, it's one of those games you just sort of have to go... 
the positive is it's done. We got a point. Now let's never speak of it again and just move on for next week. It is a shame because, because like we said, the, the weather sort of ruined it as a as a spectacle. You know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of passes slipping out of hands and not a lot of fluid play. You know, that sort of curtailed any sort of attacking flair that that either team really could play with. And, and obviously, the winning try, uh, as it turned out to be, is kind of a result of that. You know, so just a bit of an aimless kick from. Uh, Harry Randall really you know and Cam Redpath under a little bit of pressure you know just sort of slips under the under the wet uh, under the wet turf and and you know as a result you know um, the Bristol winger Lloyd uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce his first name uh, is able to sort of just gather it up and, and just run in and, and it's a bit of the same sort of circumstance with sales try as well where you have you know Bristol as they want to do trying to throw the ball around and play out the back and I think it's Harry Thacker uh, loses the ball in contact. Uh, it bobbles around a little bit. There's a mis- misplay by another Bristol player to try and pick it up. And eventually it falls to Luke James and he gives uh, gives the ball for Cam- to Cam Neal for probably the easiest try that he's going to score uh, in his career. And it kind of just felt like, you know, a couple of moments here or there ultimately decided the game. But the sort of story of the game is the fact that we didn't really build any territory. We didn't really build the sort of possession that you need in, in tough conditions to to win games like that, especially away from home. And, and actually, as James mentioned on last week's podcast, it was actually Callum Sheedy who made the difference, you know, kicking three penalties and a conversion for, for 11 of Bristol's 16 points. Uh, James, do you think it's fair to sort of categorise this win then as, as being sort of one that kind of got away from us and, and one we can sort of attribute just to, to Bristol playing the conditions a little bit better? Yeah, I, I don't think we, we could expect to win, really. I, you know, I, I think one that got away makes it sound like it was there for the taking and we really should have won. And Sale have had loads of them over, over the years where we sort of outplay the opposition and find a way to lose. Actually... We didn't deserve to win the game. We, we didn't play the, the, the conditions well enough. Um, I, I don't think we were winning collisions. Um, I, you know, we weren't um, we were making too many errors. Um, and it was just a bit of a boring game, really, on, on both sides. And, yeah, Callum Sheedy kicked his, kicked his goals. In the preview, I actually talked about how we can get the back, back line moving and how he's a quite an attacking fly half, but he kicked his goals. And actually, McGinty came on, I thought, and just gave us a little bit more structure. Um, and when he kicked those three points, for about six, seven minutes, I felt that, you know, the momentum was with us, and then it's just a bounce of a ball. If it, you know, if that hadn't have happened or it had gone our way and we still scored the try at the end, we'd have, I would have felt we'd nicked the game. We'd stolen it and disappeared back up north, you know. Um, so I think it was probably the right result getting a losing bonus. Um, it's just, you know, we've had one stonking game against Irish um, and haven't played all, to, all together too well in the other two games. So I think there's quite a lot of pressure building uh, for the Wasps game. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of wanted to talk about this in, in terms of the Bristol game is that you look at the comparison to last season um, in terms of playing Gloucester at home, um, Bristol away, uh, and then I've used uh, Newcastle away as the sort of uh, comparable for the London Irish way, given that Irish weren't up last season. Uh, so uh, Irish were in the Championship last season, and obviously Bristol were already in the league as well. So the, the, that away game makes a little bit more sense to, to compare. But actually, if you if you look at our record year on year, Last year, Sale had eight points from those games, five points against Gloucester at home, last game of the season, two points away at Bristol, like we mentioned, uh, in a draw, and then obviously losing bonus point away at Newcastle at St. James's Park. And this year, I think we can say that we've probably underperformed on the on the face of it in terms of the, the results, especially that Gloucester game to begin the season. 
but we still got seven points. You know, five points against Irish, a losing bonus point today, and a losing bonus point uh, against Gloucester as well. And it kind of feels like I'm not particularly uh, at panic stations just yet. I think we probably would have hoped for more going into the game away at Bristol, who are a rival with us for top six and top four of the season, as we've already mentioned. But I think actually look where we are year on year. And yes, there's more investment in the team. And yes, we are a better team. But actually the results are pretty comparable to, 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 to what we saw last year. And that's without, you know, some very key players that we'll, we'll come on to in, the, in a little bit. Alex, we'll, we'll talk, you know, we'll preview the loss game a little bit later on in the podcast. But, you know, after this result, you know, to sort of wrap up this discussion, are you particularly worried about where Sale are three games into the season? No, I'm not. And I think mostly because of those bonus points that we've got away at Bristol and at home to Gloucester. You know, last season when we were losing games, we weren't getting bonus points. Um, and I also think that we've shown enough that I, there's no reason to be worried at all. I think we're going to be a very, very competent team um, going into the sort of later half of the season. I just think we haven't quite got going as fast as we like to. We know we always have a slow start. It's absolutely typical of us. I did think this season would be different, but again, we've you know we've got a new ten coming in. We've got a new nine in effect. Um, in Will Cliff starting all our games, and then Papier coming off the bench. Um, so again, in those key positions, you know, new eight as as we say so often, those decision making positions, two, eight, nine, ten. We've pretty much got a new starting lineup because we're starting Acker and Dan Debrea. Um, so I think you know it is going to take some time again to adjust. I just hope that um, we pick up quickly enough, and then going into the second half of the season as the big players come back, I think you'll see us accelerate. So I don't think it's panic stations at all. I think when you look at our league position, we're in a decent place. We're getting points from games. We're not getting battered. You know, it's not like the Northampton game from last season. Every game has been every game. The two games that we've lost have been cut close, and the game that we've won has been by country miles. So, um, plenty of hope. And you know, we're going against a Wasps team that I think are still on. Are they still on zero points? No, they um, won uh, other week. Could be very wrong. Yeah, they beat Bath. Um, but the, we're going against a Wasps team who have had a really poor start to the season, and I think are in a really poor position generally. They keep losing players and not replacing them. You know, the likes of Lerida and Daly have gone over the last two seasons, and they're not bringing in. I don't think the quality to replace them. Um, so I, I would feel confident going into the Wasps game, especially at home. We'll see a good performance. So I think you know, if we lose that Wasps game, I still don't think it's panic stations. I just think we're resigned to another season of bottom six, which isn't the end of the world because we're not going to go down. We're too good to go down. Um, he says that'll come up back to bite me on the arse in three weeks. Um, but uh, it'll just be a disappointment rather than panic stations for me. I think. Yeah, and I think evidenced by how little time we're spending on the Bristol game this week, you know, it does kind of feel like a bit of a nothing game. It's kind of because of contextual factors. It kind of never really sort of lived up to the game it could be. Uh, and as a result, it's one of those where you, you take the losing bonus point, you know, back up north and, and sort of forget about it and move on to the next one. And I think that's why, especially compared to, you know, the, the same games last year, personally, I'm not feeling too worried. But at the same time, I think there's there's a little bit more pressure on this Wasps game that's coming up on Friday, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, um, because obviously then you've got a chance to really sort of like kickstart your season with a win in a game that last season, you know, uh, we, we lost quite handsomely. Um, is there anything else on the Bristol game that either either of you would like to sort of mention? I don't think there's, <laughs> there's much else to talk about, really. 
Uh, yeah, I think we're we're gonna it'd be good to get you know a, an open side back. Ben Curry, I hope he's not too jet lagged or whatever. I just think it just gives that balance. I think Johnny does a job at six, seven, or eight. Um, but I think if anything, he's becoming a six or an eight rather than a than a than a six or a seven. So um, he, he's done a good job in difficult uh, conditions. But I just think that jackal because you then you, you win turnovers or you win penalties and then that enables you to get field position um, or gets Rob Dupree kicking a goal. So I think we would be good to get one of them back. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think um, that point about Rob Dupree as well, I think he, you know, he's, he's going to take time to warm up. And um, I think, you know, he's, he's looked okay at the start of the season um, I do think that he he had probably, he didn't have a great game but I don't think he's had a great game yet all season but I do think that in five or six games time he does suit the way we want to play and yeah I, I totally agree with James, I think having that balance across the back row would help us out massively, you know we saw how in the first game not having that balance in the second row cost us and I do think we can't just because we've got all these players, we can't just force them into positions where they're not used to playing. I do think we need to think about, you know, yes, we might have five sixes, but we can't just play, you know, them all at six, seven, and eight. We've got to think what's the best balance in the team, and that doesn't necessarily mean getting just the best players in wherever we can fit them. It is about that balance. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll learn with it, and it's the first time we've had such a big squad, so it's not an issue. Um but I do think as the season goes on, that's something where we just need to develop a bit and get a bit more sort of savvy at using the players we have, but in their best positions, not just chucking a world 15 onto the pitch and hoping for the best. Yeah, and to that point, you know, we we, we talk a lot about squad depth and, you know, I echo all those points as well. And I think my only other thing I want to mention about the Bristol game is obviously great to see AJ McGinty back, you know, uh, kicking sticks. Uh, great to see Valerian Morozov uh, back as well. Uh, both players coming off the bench after World Cup duty. Um, and also to see Cam Neal, you know, come back in as well. I think as we talk about the fact that we're maybe missing that jackal with, with Ben Curry not being available and obviously Tom Curry not being available as well. I know Cam Neal is always sort of packed down as a six. He's sort of a very sort of mobile carrier, you know, with, you know, who's, um, you know, gets around the park and, and, you know, makes a lot of tackles, but he's, uh, you know, quite an underrated jackal as well. I think that's uh, an element that always separated him apart from a lot of players when he was also playing hooker. And I don't necessarily know where Neil fits into sales sort of first choice 23 as uh, you know moving forward given we've got both Corys who, who would pat down at seven in the back row but I think having someone like Neil in a game like um, Fridays if he had been fully fit from the from the start he might have been a really good option to sort of drop in there alongside you know where John Ross or the Dupree twins um, to give sale that sort of dimension that perhaps they, they lacked with both Corys uh, not being uh, available, but we're, we're already starting to sort of touch upon some of the themes from from the mailbag that we're going to do um, this week. So obviously, like I said, we didn't want to labour the point too much on Bristol. We've kind of said all there is to say, and instead of three word reviews, obviously we wanted to uh, change the focus of the podcast a little bit to be a little bit more uh, about the beginning of the season. Uh, so we've sort of I want to say a massive thank you first and foremost for everyone who submitted questions. You know, there's loads and loads of good ones to, to dig through. Um, there's a couple of interesting ones about a potential pay per view fight between Jean-Luc Dupree and Siani uh, Pietal from, from Bristol, uh, which I thought deserved an honourable mention. Um, but Alex, you know, I'm going to go to the, the first question is, is going to be for you, and it's from uh, at Tommy Teapot, who asks, are you guys confident about Dimes 
Dimes' ability to get this very expensive squad performing to a top four standard? Uh, yeah, I think he's unproven, but I am confident that it can be done. I think we've shown at times that we can be top four standard. You know, lest we forget that we beat Gloucester away with a bonus point and Sarri's at home last season, and they were full strength teams. They weren't international breaks. You know, we have had good results. Um, the consistency is an issue. The squad management is maybe an issue, but you know, I, 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 I am confident, and I think you can't not be confident just because you know. Yeah, he's never had to manage a squad this big before, but there's two ways of looking at that. You know, you can either say, oh, he's not got experience, or you can say, you look at someone like Rob Baxter, who managed in the championship and then managed Exeter to, you know, winning the league and now being a consistent top two contender. So, um, no, I am I am confident. I think um, that's not to say that, you know, it's a blind confidence and, oh, yeah, the, you know, all is rosy. Um, there are clearly issues that we need to work on. But um, I do think overall, if you look at our past results, then Dimes has proven that he can get us playing in a really good way. Whether he can do that over the season remains to be seen. But I don't, I don't think you can look at that and go, "Oh, we, you know, he's not done it," or we just don't trust him. I think, you know, from my point of view, he he's shown he can get good results. He's now got the squad. It's up to him to prove it. But I think as a fan, you have to be confident, don't you? Otherwise, what's the point? You know, you you don't. It is a typical sale fan thing to do to turn up and go. Oh, I'm a bit fed up. Of, yeah, and we're probably going to lose because we're rubbish and we're always rubbish and we're the underdogs. Um, but actually, most sale fans, are, I think, are probably alike, and that you've got to have that optimism and that sort of. Yeah, we can do it. So I, I am confident. Yes, um, whether I proved to be wrong, I mean, you know, I, historically I'm terrible at predictions and all that sort of thing. So it could be utter rubbish. But yeah, I think as a fan, you've got to be confident. So let's be optimistic. Yeah, James, just to, as a sort of follow-up on this from, from my side, you know, we spoke in the season preview a little bit about this, but, you know, do you think it's still fair to say that this this season, with all the investment that's being made in the squad, uh, is going to be a bit of a referendum on on Diamond, and uh, especially in, in his current role as sort of director of rugby at the club? Uh, yeah, I think we have to wait till the end of the season and, and make our minds up. Um, he's learning how to rotate a squad. He's not been able to do it before. You know, so he's learning how to do this. Um, and I think, he, you know, you have to take each week, week as it comes. You have to see people's fitness, etc. It, it's, it's not an easy thing to, to do. So I'm with Alex. I think we've got to be confident about it. Also, don't forget, we've got a lot of new signings and we're trying to bed them all in at once. You know, and I think that's that's also a difficult thing to do. So we need to remain patient. You know, we've signed some very, very good players, probably some of the strongest off-field uh, signings that, we're, that any club has made this season. But let's not, you know, pretend that other clubs don't have world-class players or good players in their team. You know, this, this week, this week, you know, we're going up against the Wasp side, who are still, despite the people who have left, have got loads of high-quality players. You know, at the moment, we're going in with Will Cliff and Papier, who hasn't really made the impact that we thought he might. He has four Springbok caps. Well, Dan Robson's playing opposite him. So, you know, I think let's not just, you know, pretend that we have the best team in the in the or squad in the premiership. You know, a lot of these other teams have had squads that they've been rotating for ages and are used to it. Um, and Dimes is learning on the job. So let's just give him a little bit of space. Uh, we win the Wasps game and we're actually in a pretty good position in the league. Yes, if we lose, we could be bottom, but let's not worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, I think that you made some really, really good points there, both of you, in that I think 
as as we're sort of taking a quick stop at the beginning of the season to sort of you know uh, assess the field and survey what we've done so far, I think a massive theme of sales season is going to be learning to rotate that squad, bedding in these new signings, and obviously make sure we um, <clears throat> rotate the squad in a way that means our performances are reflective of the on paper talent, which is a, a top four. Uh, and at the very minimum top six squad as well so I think it's really really key that we keep coming back to this idea that it is a learning process for a lot of people at the club we are in uncharted waters in terms of um, the assets available um, week over week and I think you know as we look back a little bit to the Bristol game you know look at the players we're missing and who we've rotated and all the different options uh, that we've now got I think it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of weeks just to see how we manage that squad to find that sort of optimum lineup given that we now have for the first time in uh, in recent memory, um, you know, probably 20, 25 players who are all uh, feasibly first choice players. Uh, so, James, second question. This one comes from at Rob Southern 8. Uh, if Jono is out injured, who should be the on field captain? Beaumont seems to be Dimes' go to, but seems a bit like England without Faz, who really leads the team. Robin reckons that AJ McGinty might be a shout, but he also isn't guaranteed to start. So, who's in your opinion, putting their hands up to be the captain if Jono is not available? Well, I think, again, you, you've got to pick your team and, and then pick your captain, but there's a leadership group at sale. So I think any of them would be down to potentially captain the side. I think Josh probably is going to play, is guaranteed to play the most games. Got to see what happens with uh, Diaga's injury. Uh, but Josh definitely, see, you know, he calls the line out. He's in the leadership position. He's captained the club before. So I do think he's probably in pole position. If he's not playing, then I think Ben Curry is in within a shout and there's a look to the future. If we're looking for somebody with a more experienced head, then I think that Weber, uh, Rob Weber, is would be you know leads from the front and has some captaincy um, skills to him. So I think there's a there's a few options. I think fly halves are always leaders to some extent. Um, so AJ and Rob are both opportunities as well. But these days, it's not always just all about the captain. I do think we probably are a little bit over reliant on Jono. So it'll be interesting to see if other guys do get the nod. Brad Barrett, you know, is a really good example at Saracens. He is the level above captain, but you know, these days he doesn't play that many games, especially in the Premiership. So you know, they're they're blooding the next uh, lot of captains, and I, and I think that we need to be doing that as well. As I said, I'd like to see. Uh, um, ben Curry given a, a go at some point. Yeah, some really good names mentioned there. It is interesting that you mentioned that that leadership group itself, which we know AJ is a is a part of, especially from a backs perspective. And it you know it does seem like the split is you know Jono for the forwards and AJ for the backs, which is you know a very interesting dynamic. Given that uh, as Robin and yourself have said, he's not necessarily guaranteed um, to to start every game. Uh, Alex, have you got anyone else you'd like to put forward as a, as a potential captain? I mean, it's hard to look past Josh Beaumont and, and Ben Curry, isn't it? No, yeah, I agree. I think um, with with Ben Curry, the only thing is, you know, we've we've had a young captain before, and we've seen how it's gone with James Gaskell. I think, you know, it is just he's probably a better idea to let him develop his own game. I think he is a very capable captain. Um, I just and I I think he'd be good. I just, you know, it's one of those where you kind of want to let them go and do your thing and don't worry about, you know, talking to the ref and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, if, if he's ready, he's ready. You know, if, you, if you're if good enough, you're old enough. Um, and he's been around the squad a long time. Um, and it is, it, is, it is a good point that sort of in that senior group, yes, we have a leadership group, but we haven't really got, you know, if, if, you, if you go past John, it is Josh Beaumont. And then it's kind of it. You know, Rob Weber is... Um, 
he's been a stalwart for the club for quite you know a few seasons now actually somehow without you know having been there a long time um but you know is he is he a captain probably probably not in my opinion although he is he's a senior player but not necessarily that kind of captain material um but i think you know maybe that's sort of just the fact that Jono is a very good captain and therefore we're sort of um comparing everyone to him um other players i think will cliff is probably someone else who I'd look at as sort of leadership group, experience head, knows the club well, um, a good on-field captain. But yeah, for me, Josh Bowman and Ben Curry are the two. Um, and I, I think past that, as James rightly says, we need to start looking at the next generation of captains because, you know, Curry, the Currys are probably going to be the obvious one. Um, but, you know, what if they're both excellent players? If they leave, where, where do we go then? So, um, yeah, I agree with James. Um, but I'd just throw Will Cliff's name to the ring as well, although he is in a decision-making position anyway. So it's probably a similar um, argument for the ten. Yeah, I think it's also important to note that whilst it shouldn't necessarily detract from someone's candidacy, you know, Ben Curry, Tom Curry, you know, are probably likely to get some England caps in the future, um, you know, to put it, you know, to, to understate it slightly. And obviously the benefit with John Ross, you know, a fantastic player as he is, is that he's unlikely to miss any significant amount of time away from sale, you know, on, on international duty with, with obviously England. Um, so yeah, so some really good points there. Um, I do like the pick of Cliff as well. Um, but like you said, Alex, you kind of look past... John or Ross, and it's like there's no one immediately who sort of stands out in that sort of same sort of category or same level, even if we do say, you know, Josh Beaumont and Ben Corey are sort of like the obvious candidates based on the team at hand. Uh, question to either of you, I'm going to open up the floor a little bit because this one's a little bit broader. Should the club continue to use the £3 price structure for the Premiership Trophy semi-final, whenever it is? And that one comes from Jamie McAndrew. Uh, anyone feel free to, to take the lead on this one. Yes, for me, yeah, I think it was a really good idea. Um, um, I think it worked really well. I think the, I, I don't think, you know, no one's going to go, oh, it's the Premier League Cup semi-final, let's go and watch. Everyone's just going to think, oh, it's the Premier League Cup, I'm not really bothered. Um, so if it's a way to get people in, if it gives you that mid-season boost in attendances, you know, I think um, we didn't, it's not like we sold it out last time. Do you know what I mean? We're not selling out the ground, so it's not like we're losing any revenue other than the fact that we have to give away the ticket. If it's financially viable to do it, then yes, do it, um, because I think it's the perfect game to do it. I don't want us doing it in Premiership games or European games, because we're not going to make any enough cash, and you know that is a genuine concern for the club. Um, but I think the Premier League Cup, you know, we're not going to get that many people in anyway. So yeah, let's um, let's keep the offer, and then. You know, if we do win that and we get to the final and we're hosting the final, then you know you've got all those people who who came to the semi final and the final, and you know maybe you offer them ten pound ticket instead. But it's a final, so come and watch. So yeah, for me, I would keep it if it's financially viable. You know, we don't know how these things work behind closed doors that well, um, and whether it's you know feasible. But if it is feasible, do it. If we don't do it, I'm not going to be like, oh, why aren't we doing it anymore? I completely understand. But I think it is a really good way of get, growing the fan base. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it was a bit of a masterstroke by sale to introduce it as a as an incentive to get people down to the stadium. I know we had 6,000 for some of the uh, for some of the pool stage games, which given that, you know, historically attendances have been sort of around two, two and a half, three thousand at times. You know, I think it sort of shows what, what a great uh, initiative that was from the club. And you know, it's a case of, 
if you have tickets full price, you're not going to get twelve and a half thousand, you know, to fill the same capacity. Um, you know, even even in the Premiership, you you know, sale are very unlikely to get that, even as they sort of continue to charge up the table. So I think there's absolutely no reason not to, uh, like you said, uh, Alex, as long as it's financially viable, to keep going with that offer. And if it means you get, you know, nine or 10,000 in for a Premiership Rugby Cup semi-final, which we've got to remember as well in the scheme of things, doesn't necessarily mean that much compared to a, a Premiership playoff, for example. I think that'd be, you know, a fantastic result for the club. And I think the fact that we have, because of how the seedings have worked out and how well we did in the pool stages, we've got a guaranteed home semi-final. And then if we get through a guaranteed final as well, there's absolutely no reason for uh, the club and obviously the fan base not to do everything they can to sort of pack the stadium out and give us a home advantage and you know give us the best chance to compete for some silverware even if you know in the, in the grand scheme of things that silverware doesn't necessarily mean as much as some of the other competitions that we're in. Uh, James, you got any thoughts on this? Uh, I'd, I'd probably keep three pound for for kids, uh, like the concession price, and I'd, pr- I'd probably put up to like a fiver for the semi and then a tenner for the final if we get there or something. And just get get on the front foot with it, you know. It's still very very affordable, um, and you know, I, I think three quid for a semi final is is a bit ridiculous. I know I know it's not the, the premier competition. Don't get me wrong, um, but we don't want to absolutely screw ourselves. I mean, I don't, we don't know how much money they were losing. I suppose um, I think it was a fantastic initiative, and they could, as I said, they could keep the three pound thing going through the, the concession price. And alter the adult price for the semi-final final as they need for commercial viability. Nice to have some dissenting views on the podcast. Uh, admittedly, for a change, actually, we've, we've had a, a long run of uh, agreeing with each other for <laughs> for quite a while now. Uh, and actually, the next question that we've got for this this time from Simon Holman might sort of continue that uh, that theme of disagreement. Uh, James, we'll, we'll we'll start with you. Who should be Sales' first choice fly half? Um, well, I think it's 1A and 1B, isn't it? Rob Dupree and, and AJ McGinty. And, you, and you, you rotate, you pick depending on who you're playing and you pick the person in form. And, uh, you know, Rob hasn't done enough to nail down the 10 slot. AJ came in and settled the team down. So, you know, if he's been training with the, the team often enough, then he might get a go against Wasps. I think you just take it on a case-by-case basis. I don't think you have a first and second choice with the two that we have. It's not like the Faf situation, you know, where Faf is the clear number one and Cliff is the clear number two, you know. Um, you know, it's going to be rotation at fly-off, same as everything else. Yeah, I agree with that, I think. Uh, I know, sorry. I don't mean like rotation, um, like planned but... rotation with fly-half, because I do think that you want some consistency, but you want competition to improve your individual performance. So... You know, AJ might get given the go now after coming on and doing all right against Bristol, or maybe Rob's still got some money in the bank after playing quite well against Irish. Well, I think that's the way it should be looked like. I think, in, especially in the forwards, that needs to be planned rotation and then, you know, tweaking it depending on injuries and stuff. Whereas I think with fly off, if somebody's playing well, yeah, you, they stay um, until they have a less good game or the other 10 comes on and changes the game and wins it for you or closes it out well or whatever it might be. So I think it's a slightly different type of rotation at 10 because chopping and changing 9, 10, 12, 13 all of the time I think is is a bit detrimental. So just to clarify my point there. Yeah, I, I, I think it needs to be on form, doesn't it? Because you look at... Um... 
AJ goes through really good patches and then really bad patches. And Rob Debrea has taken quite a while to warm up in the past and then had a really good patch and really settled into the system well. Um, so, you know, you, you're never, you're never going to get both. Or if you do get both firing in all cylinders, then um, we can consider ourselves very lucky and they can play half a game each. Um, but... I think, you know, the, the, it, it's going to be ups and downs. AJ is going to be away. You know, injuries are probably going to factor into it. It's. I, I agree with you. I think, you know, at the moment, um, Rob started the season. He started okay. AJ's come back and looks like he's in slightly better touch, maybe. So maybe we bring AJ back in. But then, you know, it, it's not like the, neither of them are going to get game time. And the other thing is they're very similar players. You know, it's not like we've got you know, an AJ in a defensive fly-off and then this really attacking whiz kid. We've got two players who are very good defensively. Um, you know, AJ maybe offers slightly more in attack ball in hand, but I still don't think he's offering loads. Um, and they're both, uh, you know, good kickers and, you know, generally positionally, okay, yeah, maybe Rob is slightly better positional kicker. Um, but I don't think there's a lot to choose between them. So I, I agree. I think look at who's playing well and play them. Um, don't necessarily feel like you have to, you know, have a first choice and then have a second choice. It is two very good players competing, and whoever's playing better and fitting in better with the team should start. Um, for me, I, yeah, I, I think it's a really difficult one, and every week it's going to be difficult. But that's the beauty of it. That's where we want to be. We want to be in a position where we've got a really good player starting and then a really good player coming off the bench to back. Right, I'm going to push you both on this because whilst I. I appreciate all your points and I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, I think the listeners will probably want a more defined answer. Um, so sort of gun to your head, premiership uh, final time, you know, both players on the same amount of form, opposition doesn't matter. Who would, who, who is your personal preference? Who would you go to to start at 10? Who's playing now? The clerk. I would say that. Okay, um, Rob Dupree. Yeah, I think uh, it has to be it has to be Rob because I think AJ is it could easily go down injured or something like that the, the, in the captain's run and pull all the plans out. So I think probably Rob, but I don't know. I think I, li- I like the way that AJ he does put his body on the line and he, we know he fits with it with Faf like really really well. So I don't know. I I, I want to stick to my original point, but if there's a gun to my head, Rob Dupree. Rob Dupree. Okay, fair enough. I, I, I mean, I... who would yours be? We've got a gun to our head. So you also have something. Uh, to, to be perfectly honest, I, I think I'd go AJ, um, just because I think both are excellent place kickers. But personally, I place so much importance on that consistency from the tee, and I think AJ probably is slightly better. Um, in that role. I also think there's a larger body of work with McGinty working with De Klerk, and I think they fit quite neatly together because of how dominant a player De Klerk is in terms of playmaking and kicking. Um, whereas, obviously, Dupree, I think, is a better attacking option, but I think uh, in uh, working alongside um, De Klerk, because they both play a little bit quicker off the base. But I think, actually, if you're talking Premiership final, you know, Who's going to be your sort of halfback combination? And we have to assume De Klerk is going to be going to be there as the first choice. I think McGinty fits you know, just just a little bit neater um, in terms of sort of what what I would personally look for in in a in a, uh, in a starting fly half. Um, and obviously, sort of considering that theme about sort of our optimum lineups, uh, Alex, we'll come back to you with this one. This one's from uh, Angus. Uh, with everyone fit and available, please pick your back row. 
That is a horrible question, by the way, Angus. Right, that is just mean. Um, uh, I would go... Oh, this is really odd. Jean-Luc Dupre, Dan Dupre, Tom Curry. And I know that's quite controversial because it doesn't have Johnny Ross in. Uh, is that too controversial? Depends on the game, doesn't it? Um, but if gun to my head, I just think Jean-Luc and Dan played such exciting rugby. And Tom Curry, I think Tom Curry is first name on the team tree. Um, really, he's just such a class player. Um, and then I'd probably have... Can I get Johnny and Ben on the bench? Probably not. Um, we'll go back to the days of the 16 bench, but I was whinging about it every week, Lewis. But... Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm going with that just because it's so exciting. You know, there's so much going on in that back row. The power, the, you know, turnover ability, the offloading ability. And I know you're missing stuff and you're always going to be missing stuff, whatever back row you pick. But for me, yeah, uh, the two Dupree's and Tom Curry. Sorry, everyone else. I, I, don't, I don't mean it, but apparently there's a gun to my head. I think, I think you made a really spicy take there, obviously not having John Ross, the captain, uh, in the team. That being said, um, I think if you're looking, for me personally, if you're looking at sort of who's, who's our optimum back row, I think it starts with Tom Curry at seven. I think it starts with Dan Dupree at eight because they're positionally, those two are our best players in those in those positions and in those roles. And then I would be inclined to agree and say um, Jean-Luc Dupree at six, um, just because I think he offers a slightly more dominant um, game in terms of carrying and tackling. Um, although obviously John Ross is, is, you know, sort of a warrior uh, as well. Um, but I do think actually sort of dollars to donuts that John Luke offers probably slightly more around the field with the caveat that obviously you lose your leadership qualities of, of John Ross from the team. And we don't necessarily know at this stage what impact that would have on, uh, on the team on the field, given how integral Ross is to, you know, to, to, or has been to sell over the last couple of seasons. But I think I would, I would agree and go both Dupree's and Tom Curry. James, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> what a bloody difficult question. Great, great mailbag. Um, Wilson, Tom Curry, Dan Dupree for me. And then, uh, so again, no, no John O'Ross. Uh, and that's based on, I think what we've seen so far this year where he's a bit off the pace. You know, he didn't have as big a pre-season, didn't play all the Premiership Cup games. For me, he's just not quite as mobile as he was. He's not having the impact on the carries. He's still getting about tackling, you know, and the effort can't be faulted. But I just think he's just not quite there yet. He is our captain. It's a big call. But I think with Wilson and Tom Curry back coming back from the World Cup, Wilson especially hasn't got that much game time on his legs. He's going to be fit as a fiddle. He does have leadership capabilities as well, captain the Falcons on many occasions. I mean, Dan Dupree has got to play at eight because he's a, he's basically a specialist number eight. He's had a really solid start to the year. He can lift it well in the line out um, and he can offload. And then Tom Curry, obviously, is first name on the team sheet, uh, full stop. Jean-Luc Dupree, I've, I've always wanted to see him come off the bench and we, we haven't seen it yet. Because I, I just think he, he well, for a start, he can play all the way across the back row, which is which is helpful. But secondly, I think he has more impact, which is why I've picked him on the bench instead of Jono. Um, but you know, if Jono did, he could easily slot in. I think if I had to, if I had to choose, if I couldn't pick Wilson, Jono would come in at six, and John Luke would stay on the bench. Absolute first, you know, 
uh, first choice gun to your head situation. I think in reality, it'd be quite different. You'd base it on form, who you're playing, and probably injuries will be factored into it as well to make it slightly more easy. But there's no doubt about it, this squad is carrying too many back rows. I know it sounds ridiculous, but we you know if, if, if Lou Diaga is injured, um, then you know we're short, short in the second row and, and got too many back rowers. So even though we've made all these signings, we, we still have a bit of an imbalance in the squad. I mean, it speaks to the ridiculous depth that we do have that I'd almost completely forgotten that we're going to have Mark Wilson for two-thirds of the season as well. Absolutely ridiculous depth uh, in those positions. And the fact that Ben Curry uh, didn't get into any of our uh, back rows or on the bench really is, is you know it's just absolutely ridiculous the, the, the strength that we have I, I am inclined to agree with having John Luke as the impact player off the bench but obviously then it becomes a case of sort of um, context in terms of the game because obviously as South Africa showed at the weekend you know having someone uh, who can play that sort of fetcher or jackal role a la Ben Curry um, you know can be used to quite sort of uh, uh, quite quite uh, effective um well, effect. Um, but yeah, absolutely ridiculous. And I do agree um, wholeheartedly on the point about with the fact that we're probably a little bit imbalanced um, facing towards the back of uh, the back of the scrum. So it'll be interesting to see if it, Dan Dupria or indeed John Luke Dupria gets some reps in the second row uh, as the season goes on and we have to rotate uh, everyone else around. Okay, final question on the mailbag. Um, yeah, I think, sorry, uh, just, just before, I think you made a really good point there. Lewis, in that I really do think, you know, Dimes just absolutely loves the 6-2 benches, doesn't he? And that's what South Africa won the World Cup with. And with so many back rowers, you know, you'll want to get two back rowers on the bench, probably, as well as, you know, a second rower. So I reckon we might see 6-2 quite a lot and you might be seeing a couple of back rowers coming off the bench to, to really change the game. So I think we might see that. That's a good point. Yeah, I'm not just here to lead the podcast. Okay, final question uh, of, of, our, of our mailbag this week. Uh, which player, and Alex, I'm going to ask you first, have you been most impressed with since the start of the season? can be any player, doesn't have to be a new signing, and that comes from Nicholas Waite. Um, there's a few. I don't want to nick all of them. Um, I think Simon Hammersley has been absolutely outstanding. Um, I think he's played... He's been just been he's been exactly what we knew he was, um, but if we're talking most impressed with, uh, oh, there's there's a couple in my head. So um, and I'm leaving a couple. So if they don't get mentioned, I'll come back to them at the end. But most impressed with, I think Will Cliff is probably up there because I think he has played really well when our expectations were sort of, oh, is it going to be a bit of a Will Cliff thing? Uh, I think he's been absolutely class, really what we needed in this open start to the season. And then the other person, uh, I've, got, I've genuinely got so many. Um, I think Rohan's looked really good. I was a bit worried. And I think if we're looking at most impressed, as in who's sort of maybe I'm talking most surprised, but um, yeah, most impressed with I think Rohan has has looked really trim. He's looked his hands are good, his pace is really good, his strength we always knew about, um, and I think he will go on to have a really big season after a bit of a you know a, a struggle last season. So settling, I will go with Rohan, um, but special mentions to Simon Hammersley and Will Cliff, please. Yeah, one of the players that I want to flag, well, in fact, actually, the, the, the only player I can really think of who's really impressed me um, is, uh, is Aka van der Merwe, who I think, ironically, hasn't necessarily been our most consistent player. I think the line issues are definitely there. I think a lot of 
all our struggles this season can actually be attributed back to his, his throwing. It's not just uh, you know, potential imbalances in terms of our lifters and our options. But I was a bit sceptical as to whether or not he was going to be a little bit of a one-trick pony. We know he's quick. We know he, he's you know great at carrying. You know, we know he's got a great nickname. But I was sort of a bit sceptical about how he's going to fit into the Sale team. And I must admit, especially in that very first game against Gloucester, yes, he wasn't necessarily hitting his... Uh, uh, hitting his um, jumpers but his work rate in terms of tackling in terms of carrying and in terms of turnovers as well he gives us yet another player uh, who functions like a back row and can really uh, sort of force force the issue uh, at the breakdown and at the ruck um, and he's someone that I, th- I think he's made something ridiculous like seven turnovers um, in his first couple of games for sale you know he's a great try scoring record he's very good off the back of the rolling mall as well which gives us a little bit of a slightly different weapon um, in terms of that tactic compared to someone like Rob Webber um, but I think his vision off the back of a rolling mall like we've, we've already seen it a couple of times just peel off and use his pace to, to get around uh, the defenders on the wing at uh, least some very easy try scores and I think the line issue should improve with time. We'll get a probably slightly, slightly different, maybe slightly more efficient coaching um, in, in the Northern Hemisphere compared to uh, in South Africa because of the focus on that part of the game, um, up especially in England. But I think as well, like you know, that that lineout efficiency will come in time as he gets more accustomed with with Josh Bowman as a lineout caller, and obviously as well, once they'll settle down, they're, they're sort of back row and second row and determine who you know who their jumpers are and what their sort of priority order is in terms of Van der Merwe targeting them. So I think he's been absolutely fantastic, and that, that's who gets my vote. James, is there uh, anyone that you'd like to mention? No, you've, you've hit all of them. I mean, yeah, Aka clearly big, this large throwing issues. And uh, that does need to be sorted if he's going to be the well-rounded player and that you know that you need a hooker um, to take you through to the top four. But you know some of his physical attributes are absolutely fantastic. I echo the Will Cliff thing. He's, he's been solid in all the games. We haven't had that impact coming off the bench. In fact, I think the team performance has probably gone backwards sometimes when Papio's come on. So I think Will Cliff has, has stood up when he's had a really disruptive preseason as well. Um, but for me, it is Hammersley. You know, I think he, he's basically solved our biggest problem. Um, like, you know, he's by far the best, best signing that we've had in, in the preseason. Um, last season, we were always scratching around for a fullback. We talked about it nearly on every single pod in the game, in the game um, preview and review. And he basically has just come in and solved the problem. Let's move on. So Hammersley for me. Yeah, nice once again to have uh, a little bit of healthy discussion and debate. And uh, obviously, I think the fact that we have so many people um, to sort of quite readily discuss is an indicator that even after Friday's results, they're still in a relatively strong position after the first couple of games of the season. Uh, and obviously, we'll be focusing on um, the next stage in the in sales domestic season against Wasps on Friday momentarily. Uh, but I wanted to take this moment, um, just as a brief interlude in this week's podcast, just to say congratulations, of course, uh, to the Springboks uh, for winning uh, Saturday morning's uh, Rugby World Cup final. Obviously, a lot of sale interest uh, from both sides. We've both, uh, we've have to clear Luke Diaga, Tom Curry and Mark Wilson uh, guaranteeing that sale we're going to have at least uh, two World Cup winners in their uh, in their squad uh, for this season. Um, I'll obviously open the floor up a little bit and let you guys sort of share your thoughts but obviously yeah just want to say a massive well done to um, Fafta Clerk who was inspiration he uh, was instrumental in South Africa's win and um, 
a, a massive well done to Lou Diaga as well. Obviously, his time was cut short in the final with uh, with a dislocated shoulder, a very obvious dislocated shoulder as well. In, in case you in case you haven't seen the clip of him walking off the field, and obviously commiserations to Tom Curry and Mark Wilson as well. They both. Uh, who both appeared for uh, for England in a, in a valiant losing effort. Uh, James, Alex, is there uh, anything else that you'd like to mention in terms of the uh, Rugby World Cup final, apart from what a fantastic spectacle it was? Yeah, I got told off for smiling when Faf was being interviewed after the game um, because I was quite happy for him. So, uh, yes, I was very gutted as an England fan. But I think there's a little bit of you that go as well. At least it was Faf that won it, you know. Um, and some of the photos that have been circulating of him in Budgie Smugglers holding the World Cup, um, I will never be able to erase from my mind. So uh, if you haven't seen them, I don't know whether we can really treat them. It's a bit filthy, isn't it? But um, yeah, just wait until you see them if you haven't. They are uh, a sight to behold. There's a great video doing the rounds as well of Declerc meeting Prince Harry in the Springboks dressing room after the game. And obviously everyone is uh, sort of, uh, <laughs> I suppose, very respectful, given that it's you know a member of the, the British royal family making an appearance to congratulate them on the win. And then uh, Declerc wanders into shot in, uh, in, in the aforementioned budgie smugglers and uh, apparently doesn't particularly care who it is that he's meeting. Uh, given the uh, given his elation at winning the World Cup, that's a great video if you've if, you, if you've not seen it. And you know, I don't think anyone else in world rugby could quite pull could quite pull that off in the same way as the clerk. Uh, James, what are your thoughts on Saturday's final? Well, I just thought it was almost like a reverse of the semi England semi final. Really, I think England, you know, they they made a few errors. They didn't make any against the All Blacks, and and actually they came up against the team that was just physically superior. England were physically superior the week before against the All Blacks, and I think the All Blacks picked the wrong side, you know, picking people like Sevilla rather than Kane. And I think that England, you know, they went with a tried and tested the team that had gotten through the tournament, you know, and actually Marler and Cruz, I think, came on and made a big difference physically in that side. And I, I wonder whether they might have they might have started, but it's all it's all hindsight, isn't it? And uh, you just have to put your hands up and say the physicality that South Africa brought, the six-two bench. Um, the moving away slightly from the kicking game that they've been doing because I think the semi-final showed really that their, their kicking game, they were not executing well. Faf, Faf's kicking has been really quite poor. And actually, playing going back to the old Springbok way, lots of carrying, lots of one-off runners off the nine, it makes it basically handed the reins to the clerk and just said, right, you know, you just run this game, you do what you want. And then throw in the fact that Pollard probably had his best game for South Africa and, and uh, they deserve to win massively. Curry, huge, huge physical effort. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think we can complain. I think that South Africa were just the better side. So um hope that Lou Diago is not out for too long. I'd imagine he's probably going to be out for two, three, probably three months, I'd say. Um, it's difficult to say with dislocated shoulders, but it, it looked pretty nasty to me. I don't think we're going to be seeing him for some time, put it that way. No, and that was obviously the sort of, along with the England defeat, is obviously the sort of uh, sore spot from from Saturday's final, which was otherwise a, a fantastic game of uh, of rugby, both for uh, the neutral and the the, the less so. Um, special mention to Peter Steph de Toy, uh, who was absolutely incredible. Uh, very unlucky not to get man of the match. Um, but very sort of uh, richly deserved his player of the tournament. Uh, sorry, World Rugby Player of the Year honour, I should say. 
that was awarded to him uh, after the tournament finished. Um, and obviously as well, um, whilst I think it's fair to say everyone's a bit disappointed that England didn't ultimately uh, emerge from the tournament triumphant, um, the combination of stories for South Africa in terms of uh, Sia Koalisi becoming the first uh, black Springbok captain and then obviously uh, lifting the trophy. Um, Cheslin Colby being told he was too small to play rugby. Um, and then obviously being part of a World Cup winning squad. Um, Matt Pimpy, the um, Springbok winger who scored the first try, obviously someone who... Um, only was only afforded his first professional contract at 26, I believe, and had to, and you know, sort of grew up like Coalesi in abject poverty. Just, just, you know, fantastic, you know, stories all throughout the Springboks sort of title winning squad. And I think, uh, obviously, it's not too far fetched to say that this might have a similar impact um, in the in the game in South Africa as as that sort of very famous moment with Francois Pienaar and, and Nelson Mandela in 1995. Uh, did for uh, for South Africa and, uh, and rugby as a whole. But before we get a bit too sort of misty-eyed uh, regarding the Springboks win, uh, let's sort of reel things back in and, and sort of uh, refocus our attention uh, on sale. Obviously, we've been alluding to it all throughout this week's podcast. But obviously, uh, the Sharks return to the AJ Bell on Friday night under the bright lights of the BT Sport cameras as they welcome uh, our old rivals, Wasps, um, to Fortress AJ Bell. And as always, James has a preview of Friday's game uh, to hand. So, uh, was an average start to the season for them. I think that most of their fans probably feeling a little bit pessimistic about the year. Lost a few players, I'll get onto that. Then they won two, lost two in the Prem Cup, so not absolutely atrocious. They lost their first home game um, to Irish, 26-29, which I think, you know, was it was uproar amongst Wasp fans on the net, you know, really concerned about what the, the, this season would bring. Uh, they then went had to go to away to Gloucester, which is, you know, not really a place you want to be going after losing your first home game. Lost 25-9. You know, not embarrassing by any, yeah, I haven't been hammered there, but been beaten comfortably. Um, but they managed to pull a, a win together um, last weekend, 30 points to 22 versus Bath, which you know I think is important for them. Bath are going to be a competitor of theirs this year. They've been sort of at similar level for the last couple of seasons. So that's a really important um, win for them. So Wasps will be coming to us with you know a little bit more confidence than they had previously. And importantly, they've had some big players come back into the side. So... Jimmy Gap Gopeth, he's you know he's getting on a little bit now, but he was back at twelve against Bath, and I think that's really big for them because you know he kicks the goals, um, he brings some you know a, a cool head, but he's also ultra competitive, and I think that's really helping the the Wasp guys sort of try and take ownership of the situation we're in, and he's certainly a level above uh, Le Bourgeois, who's, who's often starting at twelve for Wasp, you know, classy player, but you know. Yeah not in the same league as, as Jimmy Gopeth. When you have a look at the new signings, they I think they've made some smart signings at Wasps. Uh, Malachi Fekatoa is obviously probably the, the top of the list on that, playing at 13 for Wasps. He's going to take a bit of time to, to bed in, but he's probably just starting to do so now. Uh, ben Villacott, I think, is injured. Certainly not been seen for the beginning of the season for, 
for Wasps. So, you know, we all know him from his Gloucester days, absolutely rapid question marks over the way he controls the game, but certainly in a similar mould to Joe Simpson, who who left the club in the summer. Um, first appearance of the season at fullback for Matteo Minozzi, um, the Italian fullback. He's been suffering with injury, he had quite a big injury last year. First return um, for him to play um, for Wasps. I think that's, you know, he really is the replacement for Willie LaRue. Okay, Willie LaRouche has won a World Cup, but I do think the Malozzi, from what we've seen with him in the Six Nations, does have at least a bit of X factor, which, you know, you could argue they were losing with LaRue. A bit of that inconsistency can make mistakes. I think he will be tested under the high ball. He's not the biggest chap. Um, and then an interesting signing for them is Sione uh, Vailanu. Um, who is about 24, I think he is. And he's been at Saracens for the last few years and only been really seen in the Premiership Cup. A lot of people sort of, you know, he's got very similar attributes to uh, Billy Vunapola. He's a big lad, probably carrying a little bit too much weight, specialist number eight, does a lot of ball carrying, maybe not as interested in doing, uh, uh, you know, too much else. But, you know, I think... It's really interesting that he's just been the first choice eight right from the beginning of the season. He's the replacement for Nathan Hughes, who also left in the summer, and he's going to be ball carrying one out. And he's just first, you know, straight in ahead of Nizam Carr um, at eight. So I think that's a really interesting thing and just goes to show that, you know, we are going to have to make sure that we stop him as a ball carrier. But if we can keep the ball, he's not going to be doing much defensively. So I think that's an interesting one to look at. In terms of who's left, we know that Jake Cooper-Wally's come to us. I've mentioned Hughes, I've mentioned Simpson. Um, Elliot Daly has gone to um, Saracens. Uh, Will Stewart has gone to Bath, um, to the tight head. Campagnaro has also gone, and obviously Willie LaRue. So some big names out, but I don't think that their signings are absolutely horrendous. There's no doubt about it that they're having to cut down on squad size. Um, I think they probably had to take some action on the salary cap to avoid any any potential uh, investigation there. But they're still packed full of very, very good players. Of sale interest, Tommy Taylor, James Gaskell as normal. Paolo Dogu started at the, uh, the weekend against Bath, so has a win under his belt in Wasps' colours. Um, so, you know, look, I think Wasps have got a lot of big-name players still. And they're still a really, really good side. And they could easily come third in the Premiership this year. So, uh, you know, we talked about it in the season preview. We, I think we all said, well, they're going to be down at about you know, ninth or something like that. But they have enough quality. If they can pick the confidence up, then they could finish higher. So at home, we have to make sure that, that, that we beat them. I want to see I want to see us really take them on up front and really take them apart. There's nothing that we like more at sale than really stuffing wasps. I'd really, really like to attend the Coventry Derby next year. Absolutely. I agree with all of those points. I think you made some very good points there, James, especially about the fact that, yes, they've lost some key names, but actually the players that they've replaced them with, whilst not at the same calibre, are still very good players in their own right. And it's kind of, um, I think you're replacing LaRue with Minosi, for example, um, and um, Nathan Hughes with Sione Villano. They're very much sort of lower risk, slightly lower reward, but still a reasonably high reward from it. You know, you get the sense that actually they are definitely having to cut down on costs. They're definitely going to have to cut down on squad size. And they probably don't necessarily quite have that same level 
of a law to players coming um, uh, looking to move to sort of Europe in the Northern Hemisphere as he did perhaps a couple of seasons ago. But then you forget that they still have players like Nizam Carr, Brad Shields, Lima Sopoanga. Like there's still a team full of very very good individual players. They're not necessarily the team that they were a couple of seasons ago when the you know were losing finalists in the um, yeah in the in the uh, in the Premiership final. But they are still a very good team and it speaks to the strength of the league that we were coming into the season talking about them maybe being 10th or 11th. And I think it's because of this sort of duality that Wasps in particular have this, you know, coming into the season about a team that could be a top four um, contender but could also be a relegation candidate that sort of re-emphasises how important Friday night's game is for sale season because as we saw at home to Gloucester and as we've seen away to Bristol, Sale have been in every game this season, even if they haven't necessarily been winning them. But Wasps kind of feels to me, and Alex, we interested to know if you feel the same, it kind of feels like a bit of a banana skin game because on the face of it, the teams match up quite well on uh, to, to, to Sale's advantage. We're at home. We've got, in theory, uh, you know, a big Friday night crowd you know, behind us. We're on TV. It really feels like this is a great opportunity to kickstart our season. But at the same time, Wasps also have the individual ability and obviously the historical legacy of a team that has actually, aside from the star players, hasn't changed too much over the last couple of seasons, unlike sales, to really throw a spanner in our works and, and cause a bit of an upset on Friday. Do you, do you think that's a fair sort of summary of, of, of how both teams come into uh, this week's game? Yeah, I do. I think Gopeth is a really dangerous player for us and he has always played well against us and always kicked points against us that have ended up us losing the game. Um, I I think, you know, we have to go in confident and we have to think we can beat them, but it's never an easy game against Wasps. Um, I don't think it will be an easy game. I do agree that, you know, it's, it is one that we kind of need to win and if we don't, it's going to send our season into a bit of a the wrong direction off first off the bat, all that sort of pre-season optimism does go after this. I think you can hold on to it a bit now, but we do need to beat Wasps. Um, and yeah, I just hate losing to them. I really hope we stuff them. But um, they have got, they've got the makings of coming into a good team, you know, exciting young players like Kiririgi and Adogru. They've got, um, you know, some old heads in there who've been around the club now for quite a while. You know, you think James Gaskell went ages ago. Um you know, so they they've got enough to certainly be concerning, and they are a really good team. Um, but that said, so are we, and you know they're probably looking at us and going, "This is a team that hasn't started that well, but it's probably got a performance in them, especially at home." Um, so I think equally, you know, you look at look at it from their point of view, and we should be feeling confident. But I, I do agree that you know it is a bit of a banana skin, and with it being on telly, it could be one of those where we're sat, you know. It'll be the typical, as I do with so many sale games, record it on BT Sport before I go out and then get home and immediately delete it and never watch it again. Um, so I really hope it isn't. But yeah. Hey, that's absolutely spot yeah. on. That is absolutely spot on. If you lose, it's not even when we, it's when we lose like 9-6 in the rain. It's just like, oh, there is yeah. nothing in that game I ever want to see again. Goodbye. No. Surely with BT, we are just due a, due a performance. I know... Lewis, you don't buy this, but there was some horror show games that we were involved in last year, and I really hope that we do, you know, the club 
proud and actually put in, you know, performance, you know, win or lose, and it's a reasonable game uh, uh, to watch. But you, you actually, right, I mean, you know, look, I, I think it's going to be a massive test for the uh, the two Dupree, uh, two uh, Dupree twins in the back row because I think they've got a lot of skills, especially offensively. Um, but I think that they've still got to prove themselves a bit defensively, both, you know, in discipline, but in work rate as well. And, you know, you look at the carriers in the back row for for Wasps, the likes of Ashley Johnson and then the Villano that we've talked about. Um, Brad Shields as well does a lot of carrying in sort of the, the John O'Ross kind of mould. Um, and then, you know, it, I do think we need Ben Curry back because Jack Willis, I really think, looks like an international uh, back rower to me, whether it's a blind side or a, or a um, open side, but certainly as a jackal over the ball, he is very difficult to move, and uh, we are going to have to be absolutely on our game in the nuts and bolts part of the game. So the tackling, the work rate, the stopping the Johnsons of Alanus on the game line, not letting them get any forward momentum, but then also blasting Willis off the ball. So if the, if there's no curry. Ross has just got to be told, it doesn't matter if you're second to the breakdown, but you've got to murder Willis when you get there. So we're starting to sort of move towards into sort of squad selection and, and, and team selection. And there's sort of two, two areas, unsurprisingly, that I want to focus on. The first is that back row. So, uh, James, in your opinion, you've identified that that might be an area where we need to front up against Wasps and actually an area that we can obviously sort of target them as well. Do you think Sale should opt for... Dupria, Dupria and Ross, if Ben Curry isn't available, and if Ben Curry is available, how do you see the back row shaking down? I think if he isn't available, we haven't got that much choice, but there is an option to bring in Neil, who looked quite hungry when he came on, as a, at seven, you know, to start, um, and then Ross at, at six, and Jean-Luc off. I think Jean-Luc, for me, my team is... He's potentially coming off the bench, whatever. I've got nothing against against him, by the way. I think he's a tremendous player. But I, ju- I just think, yeah, you know, uh, my preference is to go Ross, Dan Dupree, Ben Curry. I think that that is the best balanced back row we currently have. If Ben Curry isn't available, then I might bring Neil in at seven and just say, right, you know, before all the stars come back from the World Cup, this is your opportunity to put down a marker as a back rower that you are in the selection game. Because let's be honest, if he doesn't have a stormer, we probably aren't going to see him again for the rest of the season, uh, unless there's an injury crisis in the, in the front in a hooker. So that that may be what I do, but it's a bloody difficult one. Okay, and so the other area that I'm going to throw to Alex to, to sort of feedback on is fly half, because I think looking at this Wasp team, the very obvious area to target will be their wingers. You know, Kiribigi and uh, Adogwu are obviously both very talented players, but both very young. Um, and there isn't necessarily that sort of premiership expertise there yet. So it does strike me as, as being a very obvious way that Sale can attack this Wasp team is by having a fly half to sort of, you know, pull the strings, dictate the game, put a lot of kicks in behind them and force them to make decisions under pressure um, and get them as, as involved in the game as you can and, and try and expose some of their weaknesses, you know, defensively or positionally. To that end, who do you have starting at 10 for Sale on, on Friday? Do you have Rob Dupria or do you have AJ McGinty? Uh, I think Rob Pierre, if he was in form, but I think he's looking a little bit out of touch. So I'm going to go with AJ. Um, I just think he looked he looked better when he came on. I, I, I think you know he's clearly still relatively fresh after the World Cup. 
Um, I think he, he looks like he's a bit more warmed up into it. He knows the system a bit better. Um, he's going to have the advantage this season of having a fit Rohan outside him. Um, so for me, I'd go AJ just because I think we need to win the game. Um, but I, I think, you know, there is an argument to say stick with Rob Bupria, he's, he's in the system, he's, he still needs a bit of time to bed in, but he's still playing well. Um, but yeah, for me, I think I'd go AJ and bring Rob Bupria on later on to sort of shore up the game if we need to. Um, but yeah, I, I think either way, it is, it is one of those again where it's a 1A, 1B. So um, gun to my head, I'll say AJ this week. Hey, James, are there any other sort of key uh, selection dilemmas that, that you envisage for sale as and that you think are going to be integral to, to ultimately getting that win against Wasps at home on Friday? I mean, you know, I'm a massive Cam Redpath uh, fan, but she's not quite gone for him so far at the beginning of the season. I, I think Luke James is the most unlucky person so far in the squad. Uh, you know, he's performed last two years deserves to have been given a, a shot at being the fourth centre but I think that now coming into this must win game with Rohan hopefully you know fit as a fiddle uh, you know as long as Sam James is fit you go back to Sam James in my opinion give you that extra control he gives you the kicking option with the left foot so even though I feel sorry for Luke James he'll probably end up back on the bench again um, I think for this game because it's like such a must win you know, already at the beginning of the season, this this is like the difference between us sitting in uh, in fourth after four games, at, or, or potentially be bottom, depending on how the other the other games go. So go back to Sam James there, a hooker. I keep with Weber for a second uh, game in a row. I think he always performs way well at the AJ belt. Um, so I'd, I'd probably stick with him. I stick with Harrison. There's another question mark at, at, at tight head. Um, we've not seen Will Griff John at all. I don't know if he's injured. It'd be great to get that clarified. I don't know if any of you two know. Not to my knowledge. No, no. Um, yeah. I mean, because I, I just think he, we've missed him a little bit because it, he's worked great as well defensively. He's absolutely phenomenal. Um, so, I mean, look, you don't pick him unless he's 100% fit. Um, but uh, we'll see. And they seem to be um, fancying new stays and more of a more of a tight head at the moment, which I think is interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I think one player that I just want to give a quick mention of is if he is available, I think you, you put Denny Solomona back in. Um, I think, you know, it's great to see Marlon Yard making his return back from injury. Um, and obviously, Byron McGuigan's obviously got quite a useful boot on him um, and, and can play quite soundly positionally. Uh, but I think if, uh, if Solomona is back fit, I think you get him back in the team, um, especially when... Given that I think actually ball in hand, he might be uh, along with Chris Ashton our most dangerous sort of carriers, and I think that you know, to go back to to Wasps' potential weakness, I think you can attack the outside shoulder of Fekatoa, and I think you can attack Minosi, and I think you can attack the two wingers, and then that gives you a really um, you know really sort of clear objective in terms of what we should be doing attacking wise, you know, kicking behind, you know, getting the ball to Van Rensburg to crash through the middle against Gopov. Uh, and then obviously you want your most dangerous attacking players um, to, to sort of really take the game to Wasps. Um, and to that end, I'd also be keen to see Chris Ashton, if he's fit, uh, start on the other wing. I think Ashton Solomona um, would be would be my choice of, of wingers. Um, I think obviously uh, McGuigan gives you probably a little bit more stability in terms of positional play. But I think it's really important that we take the game to Wasps uh, and get the ball out wide and moving because I think that's where we have the most uh, most obvious advantage. Um, Alex, should we do some predictions? 
Yes, let's. So, uh, James won last week because he was the only one to predict a Bristol win. Um, he predicted it would be Bristol 28, Sale 23. So, not far off on points gap. Um, but, uh, Lewis, you predicted a draw, which was always optimistic. Uh, but fair play for going for it. And I predicted a Sale win, which uh, just backs up my point that I'm rubbish at predictions. Um, so, this week, I'm going to go for Sale to win a very close, horrible, rubbish game on BT Sport. 10 points to 6 and I'm going so that really is a negative prediction uh, James uh, how do you see Friday's game shaking out well I think we've got to be positive and like Alex I'll be going um, but I do think it's going to be a very nervy affair because the players are going to feel this pressure already I think it's going to be Sale 14 Wasps 10 uh, I am not going to the game on Friday. I'm on sale on BT, curse monitoring duty, uh, and just to see just how poorly we play when uh, uh, when uh, when the game's under the bright lights. And obviously the weather conditions, I imagine, will probably be equally miserable as per our look. Um, but I th- I'm going to go a slightly more exciting game, but still quite a close one. I'm going sale 21, wasp 17. I think sale should have enough to win uh, at home and really sort of kickstart the season and the weekend uh, in a much more positive manner than uh, than last week. So I think that's everything this week. Start slightly longer episode than usual as we sort of mixed up the format. Um, but obviously, I want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's been uh, listening and and following the podcast. Uh, in the early part of this season. Thanks to everyone who's been engaging with us in the sort of, you know, fleeting bits of World Cup coverage that we've uh, that we've done. Uh, and thank you to everyone who, at a moment's notice, submitted loads of mailbag questions this week as we sort of tried to keep things fresh and, and do something a little bit different. Uh, we appreciate everybody um, who submitted um, some, some question ideas into the podcast and, you know, apologise if uh, we didn't get around to yours. Uh, so that's anything from me. Alex, James, anything from you to before we sign off? No. See people in the uh, Sharky for a pint for the game. Only other thing from me is uh, I've just noticed the club uh, offering flights to La Rochelle in January, if anyone hasn't heard. Um, so worth checking out if you fancy going. I don't think I can go, but I'm going to try and uh, look into it. But um, yeah, if anyone would like to, I think it's 250 quid per person return from Manchester direct to La Rochelle um, leaving on Thursday at 11am, coming back on Saturday. Um, and if you've got a season ticket, it's 200 quid per person return. Um, so just in case anyone had missed that, um, that was worth looking into. Uh, we'll discuss European fixtures more in the future, I presume. Uh, but yeah, other than me, thanks. Other than that, thanks to everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.